All right, we're going to begin a new series today called Q&A, Questions and Answers. Now, in this series, our goal is to be helpful and informative in answering these questions. Now, a few months ago, you guys helped us out and gave us questions to answer, and we've been working on those. We've grouped them, sorted them, had to work hard to decipher some of them, but, you know, that's how it always is. Well, we're going to answer as many as we can through this series over the next three weeks. Now, this is our third year to do Q&A, and as you would expect, we received some of the same questions this time around that we did for the previous two years, and we expected that. Now, these duplicate questions are just as important as the first-time questions, and so we have a plan how we can address both of these question groups. We have supplied you a list of the questions we've answered in previous years. It's a white card. should be one in front of you there. Maybe you got one coming in. And so you can look at that list, and it has all the questions that we've looked at in the last three years. Then you can go to the website or through the app and click Listen, and you can find that message and find that question and see what we said about it in those past times. Now, one of the repeated questions we have every year is about human sexuality, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, living together, that very important question we addressed back in 2016 on the third week of Q&A, and you can go and listen to that and then see the list for the other ones. We also had a question asking this. If someone commits suicide, do they go to heaven or hell? Good question. You can go check that one out. Here's another question. In heaven, will I still be married to my spouse? Yeah, I kind of, hmm, that's, that's kind of different. I, I kind of wonder where they're coming from with that. Are they like, I just want to stay with my spouse forever? Or I said, till death do I part? And that's what I meant. Not so sure, but we answered that one. You can look it up and have some fun with that. All right, each week, we're going to use three guidelines in answering these questions. Number one, if there is a clear, specific biblical reference that addresses the question, we go there. A verse that discusses that topic, we go right there. Now, some questions are good questions that need an answer, but there's not a specific Bible verse that directly answers it. But the Bible is full of all these principles that help us to live under God's blessing. And so often we can answer a question by bringing a biblical principle to that question. And then sometimes there's not a direct verse or, or a real clear biblical principle, but it's a good enough question we think we have to answer it that Chad and I just give you our opinion. And uh, as I'm sure you would assume, you know, I'll give you the right opinion, then Chad will say whatever. But we'll try to give you an opinion that's helpful and informative when we do that, all right? So 2018, question and answers, first Sunday, first question. All right, so here's one that probably you have asked and thought before. How do I know who to vote for? Now, I'm sure that this is a very, you know, this is not a controversial thing in any way, ah, shape, or form. no big deal. And uh, so we just picked an easy question to start everything <laughs> off with. And I'm going to begin with a couple verses from the Bible, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So y'all stick with me here. Psalm 33. Blessed and prosperous is that nation who has God as their Lord. They will be the people he has chosen for his own. Does that sound like something you would want the United States of America to be blessed. Please say yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. So yes, blessed and prosperous. That's what we want. Next, the next scripture, Proverbs 14, 34, living according to God's instructions makes a nation great. 
I want and I think and I believe that the United States of America is a great nation. And if we take just these two scriptures and if we believe the Bible, which we do, then it stands to reason that the nation who chooses God as their Lord is a nation that is going to be blessed by him. We all on the same page? All right, y'all stick with me. God blesses nations who choose to follow him. It's that simple and that direct. You can find this all throughout the Bible. So then if those things are true, then it would stand to reason also that voting for people who have godly values, who support godly values, who follow godly values, that those are the people that would be your best options to vote for. Are we still together? All right, y'all stay with me the whole time. I won't, I won't keep asking, but, you know, here we go. Sometimes we know that what we just described and that type of person isn't running, right? Um, everybody's messed up. That's on, you know, the lesser of two evils. You've probably thought, thought that before. And like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? Well, how do we know? We're going to give you some suggestions, which we think are probably pretty good. First thing is this. It's impossible to know everything about everyone. Impossible. So whoever a candidates are for whatever race, whether it be local or national or somewhere in between, it's impossible to know everything about them. We, we just won't unless you are them, maybe. So deciding how to cast a vote is, should be first looked at through, God, who should I vote for? I mean, if we want God to bless the nation and we want a nation that's following God, he, it's, I would think he knows who the best option is when we're casting votes for someone, when we're voting for whatever office. God, who is it that you want us to vote for? Where, where do you want me to cast my vote? That should be your number one, your very top priority, the first thing you do when considering who to vote for. But Ed and I have been around for a long time, one of us longer than the other, and we know this, that even if you say, God, who am I supposed to vote for? And you're looking at a list of three names. There's a chance that one of them doesn't start glowing. All right. There's a chance that you're like, well, okay, I'm asking God, but I, I'm not, I still not a hundred percent. So we're going to, let's keep going further. That's, that's the first criteria. The second is this, investigate the party platform that the people are running under. Whichever, whichever platform, you know, take a look at it. You can find what they all stand for. You, you can name any of them. And, and, and I highly recommend you read the 25-page document they have online that says what they stand for, who they are, what they support, what they believe. That's a big deal, and here's why. Because the party platform is likely the biggest indicator of a candidate's personal values and how they're going to vote and how they're going to govern. If you, you, if you can't know them personally, which most of the people, is, it's not going to happen for us. We're not going to know them. The next best indicator is to see who are they standing by? What, is, what party are they supporting? What, which one are they representing? And I need to just quickly say this. Um, the, which party they run for is, also, is, is more important than what the news says about the person. Your favorite news station Whatever it is, whichever one it might be, I have one too. But every person on your news station is biased in some way. They are going to lean left, right, forward, backward, purple, yellow, green, or orange. All right? They are going to lean one way. It's because they're people. Everybody in this room is biased in some way or another because we're people. So 
I understand that. And when you're biased to some way, you're going to scream about the issues that are most important to you. And that's the way every news outlet we have in America is going to do for you. So the platform is actually more important than what you may or may not hear on the news that you watch. Now, I know, I know, you got questions running through your mind. God's first. God, who should I vote for? Second. Which party platform? And here's why. Because they are going to heavily influence the candidates. The party they run for is heavily influences how they vote on any certain issue. And a party platform that promotes and supports and goes after godly values is going to influence a nation and a community towards God and blessing. But the, the party, if, if there's a party that doesn't have godly values or they have primarily go against godly values, they don't support godly values, then they are going to do what? The opposite. They're going to push a country or a community away from God and blessing. That is a big deal to me. It, it, I, if you really process it, it's a big deal to you. So God first, who should I vote for? Which party are they running with, and what, what are those values? Do, can I support those values? The third thing would be this, uh, their personal values. It's possible, and most likely when it gets down to the lower, like maybe not lower, but local levels, it's possible you might know the people. You may have interacted with them. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I have. I've interacted with some people, and, and sometimes I'm like, I will never vote for you because I've seen with my own eyes and experience. And the other ones are like, I can vote for you every time because I, I know your personal values. So those are important. It's just that there's such a small amount of the people that you'll get to vote for where you actually know them personally. But that does matter. A person with values that support godly things is going to vote and govern towards God and blessing. Someone who's the opposite of that is going to support and influence a community away from God and blessing. So... Our answer to, how do you know who to vote for? Do your homework. Ask God. See who they're representing. I'm talking about the party that stands behind them. Who do they closely associate with? And check their personal values if you can. And, and, and in case I didn't say it, ask God to help you because he knows what we need the most. Okay, so as citizens in America, we can vote, and I agree with Chad, we should vote. We can also run for office. We've got people in our church who are running for office. I spoke to one of them today. I said, hey, when are you up for re-election? They told me. I said, okay, because I want to be sure to vote for you. A third thing that we can all do is to pray, to pray for our nation. Let, let me tell you what, what God can do in response to his people's praying. Our nation has been impacted significantly over its two centuries by God moving powerfully by his spirit. Uh, theologians call this great awakenings when our whole country is impacted by just a move of the spirit of God all over the country. Sometimes it stays local in a church or a community and God's doing amazing things and many, many people want to come to Christ, but sometimes it does sweep the whole country and our country has changed even to the point of our laws are changed for the better. Well, I want to tell you, give you one example of a uh, spiritual awakening or revival is another term used for this. In 1995, in the city of Brownsville, Florida, God did something amazing. There was a church there that had about uh, auditorium set about 2,000 people, and they were having church on 
Father's Day, 1995, and they had an evangelist named Steve Hill come to town, and whenever he spoke, people responded. He had that evangelist gift from God, and many people would come forward, and they'd have 20, 30 people come at least every time he was in that church. Well, this Sunday, nothing was special. He preached like he always did, but instead of 20, 30, 40, 50 people coming forward, a 1,000 did. Half of the church came, came to Christ in one. I've just been playing or whatever. And a 1,000 people came to Christ in one service in one church. And so the leaders were blown away, and they're like, whoa, what is God doing? Uh, hmm, boy, this, this is special. Why don't we have an extra church service and just see what God does? So they told the people, hey, we're going to have, uh, I think it was a Tuesday night service just to have something extra. We think, we think maybe God's doing something. We want to make room for that. So if you got some friends who, who need Jesus and don't have that relationship, invite them. And so on Tuesday night, it was standing room only with people outside the building who couldn't get in. And again, hundreds came forward, and God was amazingly touching people's lives. Well, this grew and grew and grew to where it got to the point, if you want to go to church, and they started having services five nights a week, can you believe that? Sunday morning plus five nights, and they were all jam-packed. And to get in, you had to stand in line before church from 8 a.m. in the morning till 7 at night you had to stay in line in the heat of Florida. It was amazing. Word got out around the world, and people came by the thousands to come and experience what God was doing at the Brownsville Revival. I got to go with a group from our church. And I'll never forget when we walked in the building. I mean, we haven't even had our seat yet, but the atmosphere was electric. You could just sense, man, this is like a holy thing. God's doing something. And sure enough, the services I got to attend, people went forward quickly and eagerly to receive Jesus. They had a baptism service, and they baptized over 100 people in one service. So God moved very powerfully, and he, I believe he wants to do it again. I believe God's, God's will to do that. And so we can pray for God to move afresh in our land. We can pray that he stirs up us in the church to be just on fire for him. We can pray for people to come to Christ, and God can do amazing things. So we want to take a moment, pause right now, and pray. Please join me. Lord, we thank you for America. We thank you for how you've blessed our country. We thank you for the millions of believers in our country who love you and are living for you. And God, we thank you for how you've moved in just spectacular ways in our history. And Lord, we say, do it again. Lord, do it again by your spirit. Lord, let it start right here today at Ignite Church in Matagorda County and Texas and just touch our nation and our world. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're on to question number two. Someone asked, what is Ignite's leadership structure? And, and you might have asked, you might have thought that. You might have also thought of it kind of in this way. What is, what is the government of Ignite Church? And so we're going to give you a snapshot of it so you know. Um, the first thing is this. There's a few levels. The first level is there are two lead pastors of Ignite Church, Chad and Ed, in case you didn't know. And uh, we are equal in, in, in responsibility, we're equal in authority and function in every single way. I know many of you thought that Ed was my grandfather, that's not the case, okay? Boom, gotcha. Uh, Ouch. Our, uh, our main role, our main, main role, somebody actually asked that to be honest, but okay. Um, 
To provide, our main role is to provide vision and direction for Ignite Church. Um, that, that's our, the biggest thing, and there's a few other things. that We're, we're responsible to prevent life-giving teachings. Um, that's Present. What I say? Prevent. I said it again. You did. Oh, I did it this morning. Present, present not prevent. We, we do not want to. I'm going to present messages. You want to prevent them? That's that's totally fine. <laughs> there you go. We have fun here at Ignite Church. <laughs> present life-giving teachings. Uh, our our one of our roles is to oversee the staff and lead um, the congregation and the organization. Those are huge things that are our responsibilities. We're responsible to model a godly lifestyle. That's a big deal. Uh, pray for the staff and the membership. Defect and <laughs> defend and protect the integrity of the church and represent the church to the community. Those are, those are our responsibilities. This is our, our, one of our roles. And I'm going to give you an additional note to the, the lead pastor part. Sometimes people wonder and question because... Having two of us is, is an uncommon thing. The question arises, well, how do you guys, you know, what do you do if you disagree, if you don't think the same about something because there's two of you and you say you're equal? Here's how it works. We, the first thing we do is we defer to each other's strengths. Uh, I know what Ed's strengths are and the areas he's strong at, and he knows mine. And so if there's something where we're just like, oh, I think this, well, I think that, and if we're kind of thinking on the same uh, intensity of it, then we defer to the, other, the one who's stronger in that area. We've done it every single time, and it has worked. And it's worked well. We also have our own little number system to help define that, and we, we're truthful. We don't lie to each other. It says, you know, zero to 10, how strong you feel about that? I can't tell him every single time, I'm a 10, I'm a 10, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if we've ever said 10. I don't think 10's ever come up, but we, we're honest with the number system, so if I'm a 6 and he's a 4, we're going to go with me or vice versa. And that's how we roll. That's how we work. And again, it's been going well because God's the one that made that, put that together for us. The next level of uh, the, the leadership structure of Ignite Church is a lead team. This is a group of guys, uh, spiritually mature men that include Ed and I. There's six of us total that set the scope of the ministry of Ignite Church at, at, at the highest levels. We're responsible to set policies and govern the church in regards to Ignite's purpose. Um, there, there's some vitally important duties that, that we have in that group. And, and by the way, in this group, Ed and I are, are equal to the other guys. We're all the same. Um, we, we're responsible to support, assess, and protect the DNA of Ignite Church. We're responsible to, to be above board and clear with all of the finances and the physical holdings of the church. That's an important thing, and we have guys that are uh, in place to make sure that happens. We, we also have the responsibility to model a godly lifestyle as part of the lead team, to pray for the staff and membership, defend and protect the integrity of the church. Those are huge deals. We take them seriously, and we are also responsible to represent the church to the community. Now, there's one more. There's more levels, but here's one more, and this is, this is our staff. We consider kind of a, a tier one staff. These folks oversee the day-to-day -day ministry of the church the, and the operations of what goes on on whatever, whatever day it happens to be. They have delegated authorities, and they have decision-making powers that they can decide and choose and do. Um, they serve the congregation. They're responsible to assist with the development of the spiritual life of the people in the church. This is their responsibility. They're also responsible to model a godly lifestyle. 
to pray for the staff and the membership of the church, to defend and protect the integrity of the church, and present and represent the church to the community. And the, these staff members are our associate pastor, who is Susan Burton, our children's director, who is Lori Webbin, our uh, youth director, who is Paula Cross, and our worship director, who is Diana Hammonds. And they all have these roles, and they're responsible. That, so that's a snapshot of, the, of three different levels of the structure of Ignite Church and the government. Okay, question number three. Why is sin such a big deal to God? Why is sin such a big deal? You ever thought that? Most people have thought that and sometimes wonder if all the church does is fuss at people. Well, we're going to look at why sin is a big deal to God and to us as well, okay? The word sin, uh, the, the background in the Bible language for the little word sin comes from archery. When an archer is shooting a bow at a target and he lets the arrow fly, but it misses the bullseye, they would say, sinner, it missed the target. And so to sin literally means to miss the target, and spiritually for us, it means to miss the target of God's best, to miss the target of obeying God, living according to God's ways and the principles in the Bible. And so to sin is to basically say, I know, God, this is what's right and what you want, but I'm going to do this. Sin becomes all about me. And so it helps me to remember just, I picture the word sin, S, capital I, N. Sin is about me choosing my thoughts, my ways over God. So let's look at where it started in the Garden of Eden. We read this about the Adam and Eve story from the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it brought death of every kind, spirit, soul, and ultimately body. God wanted no death, but their disobedience brought that. And we saw at the end of the scripture that everybody sinned. We've all messed up, like Chad said earlier. We all got issues. And so let's, let's look at some dynamics of the importance of sin. First off, Sin separates us from a holy God. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God said through the prophet, it's your sins that have cut you off from me. God is saying you continually choose to rebel and go your way, and you've disconnected yourself from me. And so that's the first big deal, that sin prevents a relationship with God until it's dealt with. And the way sin had to be dealt with is Jesus had to come and die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Such, such a big deal. He had to pay that price so our sin could be forgiven and that separation from God could be healed and we could be close to God. Sin also prevents us from experiencing God's best. Jesus said, I came to give you an abundant, rich, fulfilling, full life. But if I go my way instead of God's way, I'll miss out on some of that. And finally, sin hurts other people. Obviously, our, our actions can hurt others sometimes. So sin is a big deal. Now, have you wondered, well, how do I know for sure I've sinned? You know, how have I, you know, how do I know this is right or wrong? Well, let me give you a little help there. Two things. Number one, the Bible. There's lots of info in the Bible, both about sin and giving examples of it. One thing I love about the Bible, it's honest. There's, there's no perfect people in the entire Bible, all right? They're all flawed, and you can see the repercussions of sin in their lives. So the Bible helps us understand sin and deal with it. And then if you're a believer, God's Holy Spirit lives in you. 
And the Holy Spirit just impresses you, speaks to you. Somehow, he communicates to you when you're starting to veer off path. It's like he's saying, whoa, there you're going the wrong way. You're going away from God's best. You're going to get in trouble and make a big mess. And, and so it's like an inner check. And the Holy Spirit's voice can be so helpful to us on those subtle things like we're starting to get bitter and resentful. We're starting to get greedy. We're starting to think about having revenge and, and stuff like that. Well, the Holy Spirit in me can check my attitude when nobody else can see it. And the Holy Spirit and the Bible are God's tools to help us deal with sin. So we want to give you a, kind of a couple of examples of how to process and, and look at sin. And here's, here's kind of why. It's because I, it can be easy for us to say, well, I just, I've sinned and I'm bad and yeah, I messed up all these times. I'm not even going to go to church. I don't, I mean, why would I even go? The church will burn down if I walk in. Um, and some of you might have said that before. I've literally heard that before because people really feel that way. And so we're trying to give you a really healthy view, and we're going to do it by using forgiveness as an example. So let me first tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is letting the other person go, somebody that's wronged you, they've done something that was horribly wrong, and they, they've hurt you in some way, and you... you um, you don't say it's okay. You don't condone what they've done. You don't return, let them do it again. That's Forgiveness is something different. Forgiveness is saying, God, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let you deal with it. I'll let you deal with them however you feel like you need to. Now, that's a very, very fast definition of, of forgiveness. And if you're looking for more, because maybe you're struggling in that area, last year you'll see it on your little list of questions. Uh, yeah, last year we had a question about forgiveness, February 19th of 2017, and I honestly don't remember which one that's in. February 19th, the series title is Bad Blood, Bad Blood, and the, the message title for forgiveness is called The F Word. So if you go look that one up, if you're looking for more explanation about forgiveness. But with that in mind, forgiveness, that's what it is. Let's see something Jesus said, Matthew 6, 15. If you, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Here's the lowest level of processing that, and which a level that all of us have been on. Maybe many of us are on this level today. So if I don't forgive other people, then that's bad, and it's a sin for me to have unforgiveness or a grudge or that type of thing. So I have to forgive, and if I don't, I'm bad, and God's mad at me, and he's unhappy. Oh. <sighs> That's the kind of a low, lower level of looking at that. We're going to just jump to the highest level of looking at something like this. Read the scripture again. Matthew 6, 15, Jesus talking himself. If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Higher level of processing this would be, hmm, so unforgiveness, what does it do to me? It imprisons me. Because when I think about this other person and what they did, I'm consumed by how they wronged me. And now I'm going to build a hatred. And if you're like me, who is a massive daydreamer, now I'm going to come up with ways to hurt you. <laughs> right? Um, you know, it'll take your time and your energy, and it actually takes up area in your mind about this other person and this thing that happened. And so... I'm, I'm losing out. I'm losing a piece of myself. 
when I do that. And, and, and unforgiveness hurts the other people that are involved because I either find a way to get revenge, I find a way to hurt them, or I hold back something that could have helped them. Yeah, I could help you, but I ain't going to. I remember what you did. You're going to suffer on your own. I ain't giving you, you, you know, either way. So it hurts other people. Now, when I do forgive, it's healthy for me. Why? Because I regain that real estate in my mind. Everything I devoted to holding something against them, everything I devoted to figuring out how they were wrong and how they were going to pay, I can let it all go. Now I get that part of me back. And it gets bigger. Now God can forgive me when I mess up. So, okay, I can see how this is, why this is, is, a, is a big deal. And now it's healthy for the other people because I don't make them pay or I don't, with, or I, you know, I don't withhold from them. When you process at the higher level and you think of sin in that way, you kind of look at it from that angle, it's, it's me missing the mark. And, and here's, I'm going to give you kind of just a one-line definition. Here we go. Our answer. Sin of any kind is a big deal to God because it hurts the people he loves. Okay, fourth and final question. Does God plan the day I die? Does he plan the day I die? Our simple answer is yes, if you mean plan is in No you know, when I'm going to die. Look at this Bible verse with me. This is the psalmist writing, and he's, this is actually a prayer, so he's speaking to God. Help us to remember that our days are numbered and help us to interpret our lives correctly. He was obviously at a thoughtful place, and he's like, God, help me remember I'm not going to live forever, and, and help me evaluate my life. Help me to interpret my life correctly. Well, I have an announcement to make, a personal announcement. A few weeks ago, I turned 60 years old. I know I don't look a day over 59. I know, I know you don't believe it, but I did, the big six So, And you know how some years, some birthdays impact you more than others, you know? 30 didn't bother me, 40 was pretty tough. Well, 60 just, I mean, just kind of rocked my world a little bit because I began to realize my life is three-quarters over. I have lived 75% of my life. If I live to 80, and there's a good chance I may, my parents were real healthy and lived past their 80s, but that's only 20 years. I've got 60 years behind me. Wow. And as I began to think, this verse came to mind, and I began to just say, God, I want my life to matter more and more. I want to finish strong. And so this is a uh, a word for us <clears throat> older, mature people, that God wants you to finish strong. We got seven people in their 70s serving every Sunday on our crew. They get it. They're wanting to serve and serve as long as they possibly can. Uh, you may uh, recognize the name of a pro football player named Tom Brady. He's a quarterback for the New England Patriots, and he has beat our Texans many times. Lots of people hate him. We pretty much do, don't we? Yeah. Everybody hates Tom. If you don't live in New England, you hate Tom. Anyway, Tom Brady is still an effective quarterback, and he's over 40 years old. That's almost unheard of. But it's not an accident either. About five or six years ago, it became known that Tom was saying, hey, I want to play into my 40s, and I'm going to do what it takes to make that happen. The guy went crazy on nutrition, exercise, rest, stress reduction, I mean, he just went hardcore on being as healthy as he could. 
to last as long as he can. And watch him today. If he's on TV, he'll probably win again. It's amazing. Well, I believe that's what God wants us to do who are older, who are looking at the last part of their lives, to ask yourself, am I making all the impact God wants me to? Is there some area in my life I need to tighten up how I spend my time or money or my own personal care? Am I taking care of myself to live a long time and serve God a long time? If you're a little older, I urge you, give this some serious thought because God wants you to finish strong. My prayer for me is that, God, I pray my next 20 will be more impactful than my last 60. All right? Okay, y'all stand. We're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for everybody in here today. And we, we thank you that you have answers for us and the questions we have. And I pray that as we go through this week, the things that you've spoken into our hearts, the things that you've shown us as we've been here this morning, help us to remember those all week long. Help us to apply them to our lives the way they need to so that they, they help us and they benefit and bless our lives. God, for any of us in here that are saying, I, I, I need to connect to God today. I feel, like I, I feel like I need more of what God has. I pray that you grab hold of them today, God, as they reach out to you, speak into their life, and draw them to you. Pray that next week you bring us back and Help us to hear more of what you have to say to us, and we thank you. We thank you that we get the chance to be here with you today, and I pray that you would keep and bless every person in this room as we go through our week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you came...